Today is Monday, February 5th, 2024. And let me begin as we should. And I, I just want to mention we dedicated this year yesterday to uh, Danny Rosenthal. Uh, I think Yomo puts the share up right away. I already got comments from around the world. And uh, something happened last night which I can only call Gilu Yeliyahu. Tell me, what was yesterday's shear about? About marrying someone against the feeling of your parents or the uh, opinion of your parents. Last night, uh, the Gabbai of the Shul that I got, Minchamarev, is from Seattle. And uh, we start talking about the Shirta yesterday, and he says, oh, Danny Rosenthal, he established a high school in Seattle. I was in the very first class of the high school. That's nothing. You want to know what kind of Rebbe he was? I still remember this until today. I was a kid of 13, 14. He walks into class. We're learning Masechet Kedushin. And he says, tell me, what if you fall in love and you want to marry someone against the will of your parents? That was... I, we have an alarm here. <laughs> I think I should teach in a lab in Mahon Lev. I'll be better off to have labs that... Uh, to no germs are allowed and you have to walk in totally protected. Uh, anyway, could you imagine that the first thing that he taught in Seattle was exactly what I taught yesterday. So I hold that to be baruch. I want to dedicate the Shia today to one of my early Talmidim from BMT 1971, Rehobo Barbanel. Uh, Tzvi Grunstein, Harry Grunstein, if you remember the name, and uh, just showing what uh, exposure to Torah Hashem Tamima can do, he comes here for study at BMT, a relatively new school at the time, and it changed his entire life. Ultimately, he comes to Aliyah, raises a wonderful family here, his son, Yoshu, is a second-generation Talmud of mine. He's active in Soha and does, has done wonderful, wonderful things in his young life. And uh, this is his father, Harry, who I remember so fondly. And one story Yoshu had told me a number of times already. Um, his father, they were davening in a Hasidic uh, shtibble in... Uh, the five towns, Rabbi David Spiegel, Rabbi Spiegel's father was a rubber, had a shtibble in the Bronx. He had a brother who was on the east side who gave Dashkrach and Shmuka Bernstein's, and David was in, uh, I believe it was uh, uh, Oceanside, if I'm not mistaken, but it doesn't matter. Uh, and, and I knew the two Spiegel boys from Lakewood. They learned in Lakewood in my time. And... Uh, Rabbi, and Harry Tzvi, as much as he respected Rabbi David Spiegel and enjoyed davening there and his smirat nigunim, 
but at times they would argue. And one of the times, a congregant told the Rebbe that he was making Aliyah, and uh, it could be he was in Cedarhurst to see Ishtibu, could be um, not, not, not the Oceanside, if, in the five towns, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, Talmud tells the Rebbe he's making Aliyah and going into the Israeli army. Rabbi Spiegel at Sudash Lishit said, quote, I don't understand, you make a career in the army? Such a waste. When there is a war, you take a gun and fight. My father couldn't stay, remain quiet and said, Rebbe, a war breaks out tomorrow, you take off your sputtick, put on a helmet and fly an F-15? Rabbi Spiegel didn't respond. And that conversation so greatly appeals to me because I've heard that so many times from stupid people. Oh, there's a war, I'm going to grab a gun and join the army. Idiot, if there's a war, stay at home. You'll just be an extra burden, another mouth to feed. You think you just grab a gun and you're a soldier and you can fight? All right, so I dedicate this year in fun memory of Sri Grinstein. Uh, I wish I could have all my Talmudim here at once. We hire an arena and uh, everyone should be alive and see the great things that came out of vision of 54 years ago. Uh, I also want to mention, to, and this is from coming back to learning, Yoshua Grinstein occasionally finds sources and he gets upset. And uh, the latest source he found was the Chatham Seifer's Drashat. And you see from the Chatham Seifer, Drusha Yudtet, that he's opposed to going to gymnasium, opposed to a general education. But you have to take his Drusha with a grain of salt. They were said at a time that the Haskalah was spreading rapidly in Hungary. And uh, there were bitter battles going on. And this doesn't mean he's opposed to general knowledge, but... He was worried the yeshiva will close down, everyone will be in university, the Torah matecha I once quoted a drush of his that he said, Latid Lavo, we're going to have two days yantiv in Eretz Yisrael, Zeichel Legolos, based upon the Ramban that I always quote in, uh, in, in uh, uh, Pashat Bo, Chodesh HaZalachem Rosh Chodashim, and to remember where we came from, and to remember how we remained loyal to the Rebani Shlolem in the Gola, we will have two days yantav. People wanted to stone me. Two days yantav, if I came in Ohiya to get rid of the second day. But don't take him literally. He was dealing with tremendous problems with Yantav Shani, with the reformed Jews. That's the first thing they abolished is, is, is Yantav Shani. And uh, this is why he was so... In, in, intrinsic in his words, we're going to have Yantav Shemi. Now, a lot of uh, people sent me the article that also appeared in the Jerusalem Post on um, the uh, Yachal Library, what happened to it. Brian, is that you? I'm yes. trying to get the beard and the white and the guys. You look older than I look. You better get that beard off as quickly as you can. You see what I look like at the end of nine days? I look like I'm 106, not 86. Um, Brian, 
what they have discovered only confirms what I said at the end of my shirim last year. Evidently, part of the Yaha library survived. That the Nazis, that we don't have 50,000 books goes without saying. That uh, many of the books uh, were destroyed by the Nazis. But some survived. It could, there can be a hundred different stories. All the research done still doesn't come up with one story that fits the entire situation. But I think it's what I said. Some people had books, private possessions, some people took out, some people borrowed, and some did survive. It's not the heart of the library, but maybe a few hundred, maybe a few thousand. And they're surfacing slowly but surely, and people are paying heavy money to own a book with that stamp, with the stamp of Yacha, Chachman Lublin. So uh, it's fascinating, and uh, I stand on my educated guess at the end of the Shurm last year, and so far I would say that all this new information only certifies our understanding. Okay. Now, if you want to know what a small world it is, so I mentioned in class that um, it seems that I, students sent me sources, articles have been written, Secret Service uh, Russian uh, papers translated. So it seems that the first student from the United States to go back to Eastern Europe to study in a yeshiva was from Chicago, Rabbi Anastas' son, and he sent them back to Belushin. And as far as we can see, he came back to America, uh, was an accountant, worked, uh, in somewhat was involved with Shrita, had a number of children, and he died young. So I asked the class, does anything survive? What remains of this family? Volusian, Chicago, Dole Israel? And believe it or not, a very dear student of mine, who's been my student for decades, works for the firm that was established by Rabbi Anikster's children, grandchildren. They became billionaires. Uh, our main question is, did anything Jewish remain? And there the answer sadly seems to be no. And Ira, our Wishnitzer, Dr. Wishnitzer works for them. Uh, it's amazing, just amazing how you come up. They annexed the brothers, 1957 in Chicago. They later sold it for 500 million to a company led by Sam Zell. The company retained its name until 2020 when it was sold to Wesco for $4.5 billion. Uh, Iris started working there in 1988 and is in his 36th year with the company. When he originally started there, any Jewish worker had off Yom Kippur and one day Rosh Hashanah, one day on their husband, one day on your husband. Later, for obvious reasons, they had to drop it. You know, the woke generation, what, Jews, we're all human beings, if they're off, we're off. And uh, uh, 
Rabbi Gedalia Dov Schwartz told the father of a friend of mine that Rabbi Yehuda Leib Anikster is the person who coined the spelling of Chicago in a get. So, uh, very, very fascinating what we've come up with. Okay, now I want to come back uh, to Volusion and I want to continue. Again, I made the point that Professor Stampfer hard for me to give all these titles to kids I remember as teenagers when I came at Aliyah, but he's a professor, Shal Stamford, does terrific research on Eastern European Jewry, and uh, he put together a world based upon memoir literature. And as I've said so many times, Brian, when you're going to study for your doctorate in Jewish history, you're trying to guess the past. Memoir literature doesn't lie. What I write about Rebel Silver, Rakef is trying to guess the past. They may be 80% right, 90% would be fabulous. But memoir literature, when you read Rakefitz Washington, that's what he thought. You follow me? There's no question. Rakefitz thought that it was great seeing the Chafetz Chaim Sonnelor every day and, and going into a world of Yiddish, a world of East Europe. That's what Rekhefer thought. You can't deny it. Now, the question of the age, how young a Talmud was accepted to Volashen. So, so here too, and we're coming, I'm leading into a very, very delicate problem. Here too, a, a European kid knew so much more than we growing up in the United States. Growing up in the United States, you had to go to elementary school, public school, high school. A kid growing up in, in Europe before the Enlightenment ra ravished everything, before the communist takeover, the Bolshevik takeover, the kid from the age of three, four, was already exposed to <coughs> Arafat, Chumash, Mishnah, Gemara. So you had kids who were geniuses, and we have already in the memoir literature, for instance, Rabbi Chaim Mezel, that was a Gon Shabagainim. He was Ravan Lumsher afterwards. He was eight years old when he came to Volashen. Rabbi Yosef Dov Halevi Salavechik, my Rebbe's great-grandfather, was ten years old. Later in life, there were never people that young, but there were exceptions. And there are two very famous names that were exceptions. Rabbi Sassamun Meltzer mm -hmm. came to the yeshiva uh, 13 years of age. And he already was a gone at the time. They gave Machavrisa Rav Bengis, who later the Avbeitin of the Eid did, was about six years older, and he learned Bukhavrita with this. Imagine how young comes in, 13 years of age, for Lushen. The most famous story, and I've written about it, and I've studied it, and uh, what I'm about to tell you, I, I know that I was privileged to Sadeh Kedushin when the great-great-grandson of the great-great-granddaughter, I should say, of the Mechitili got married. She married a Talmud of mine. I was Masada Kedushin. And uh, th there's another great-grandson who married a Talmudah of mine 
from uh, from France to Michalala, Malka Yost, he's no longer alive. Uh, again, it hurts me. I have to say Zechona Levracha so many times in his year at my age. But that's reality. That's Kohelet, Ein Breira. So the Mechitile, Rav Shlomo Palachek, comes to the yeshiva. He's not even bar mitzvah. <coughs> I write about this in Rekafara and Chelet Aleph. And uh, the Nitziv is a little sarcastic, and he says to his father, where's the crib? So um, he calls over his grandson-in-law, Reb Chaim, Reb Chaim Priska, and says, no, give him a hair, give him a bechina. And uh, Reb Chaim takes this 12-year-old kid, gives him a bechina, and he comes to the Nitziv, do you know Yiddish, Brian? A little. You know Yiddish, right? Your father, a little. You know Yiddish, good. All right, so I have to translate. If I don't, just remind me. Uh, so Reb Chaim says, such an ilu I never saw in my entire life. And uh, Reb Shlomo Palachik goes on to become his chavritu, his Reb Yehuda late foyer, of uh, Holyoke, Massachusetts, where Mark, Mark Wiener comes from. And uh, you should know, all his life he suffered that he did not have a childhood. And he had a father, and you've heard me say uh, over the generations, I must have said a hundred times, Animodela Kaddish Baruch I had only daughters. Why? Someone just spoke to me, uh, your illustrious family, all right, all my daughters uh, have achieved, I admit, it's uh, quite an achievement, and they raised beautiful children. Kanainhara, uh, okay, you, you know part of my family, we're related through marriage. So, um, uh, Golan, uh, I, I'm, so, I'm, so, I, I'm so confused in trying to keep track of all the children, Barak. What are you saying? Barak. Yeah, you know, no, Barak. But, but, but that's not the point. I, I'm trying to think, is he out or in? Because uh, the, some of the Samuel family <coughs> got out, and they're being called back now. They're going up north. And I, I think Mayron, next Sunday already, he's in Kiat Shmona. His whole unit moves up north. <coughs> Golan just got out. He was in battle over three months deep in Aza. And I think they gave him a call-up date in May again. I have other grandsons, they all call-up day in May. So uh, when, you, when you have sons, do you know why I'm happy? I was young, I didn't have the seichel I have today. Today I've been through life a hundred thousand times over with all that I've seen and all that I've taught and all that I've been asked. Today I have, I hope, seichel. Uh, when you're young, you don't have seichel. I got killed in my first rap minute. Today, I would be a king in that rap minute. But I'm 86, then I was uh, 23. There's quite a difference in the cycle you have. Uh, this is life. So if I had sons, I would have said, you have to learn, you have to learn, you have to learn, you have to learn. You can, you can turn a kid off. Kid has to have youth. I had daughters. 
Don't have to learn. Don't have to learn. You're not chayavot. You know, yesterday she marriage, not marriage. Uh, and because you say you don't have to learn, they dafka all can learn a dafka mari. You follow it. It turns out just the opposite. The mechita, the famous story that I heard. It's not just I wrote it up, and not just I read it. You can read it in Chidushei Ha'ilui Mimechit put out by his son-in-law, Rabbi Goldberg. You can read the story. I heard it from people who were standing next to him when this actually happened. And the story is very simple. The Mechita lived in Williamsburg. Yeshiva was on East Broadway. We're talking the mid-twenties. So... Uh, the spring comes in, you know, it's a good feeling. And these American kids in front of the yeshiva are all playing uh, stickball, handball, whatever they're playing. And the major comes out of the subway. Gotta know East New York, uh, East Side, comes out of the subway, East Broadway, and he sees the kids playing. And there are a few Talmidim with him who are coming in from Williamsburg. And he looks at the kids and he says, I'll try to say it in English, but the Minister I won't succeed. He says to those around him, why didn't I have a youth? We never played. We would have been the same Talmidei Chachamim. And we would have had a youth. And you see, his family told me, I got to know his children, his grandchildren, his great whatever. I was the one, you know, I, I, everything I did, I did L'Shem Shammai. I never, never thought I'd be rewarded, be thanked. I just wrote a big thank you letter to a very wealthy Jew from Chicago who visited. Remember I told you yesterday, I just don't, I think that we sent the letter out. So he, one of the places they took him to was my, one of my grandson's artillery unit. And he gave, my grandson is the logistic uh, coordinator of the unit. And also I imagine, he's, even though he's fourth generation Yudushami, my grandson, my parents, myself, my daughters, he, but he speaks perfect English. So he spoke with the, the owner of the Chicago, the CEO of the Chicago Bulls, as the son of the owner. And he said this man gave them so many gifts and everything he promised was later delivered. My grandson said he came to 200%. That's a whole unit that they've been together over 100 days fighting. Uh, and now they have things that will remind them a good memory until they go up, called up again. And I, I just wrote a letter of Hakara Tatov. Just, uh, Yoma will tell you about the letter. I didn't, uh, a very simple letter, but a very nice letter. But I, I, well, I told you yesterday that uh, I know there are a lot of nudniks who bother you, but uh, I'm not going to tell you who I am. If you wish to know who's like to you, you can Google my name. I'm not asking for anything. I'm writing only to thank you. And then I go on to thank him and describe the unit, etc. But uh, you, you see, the all his life, it bothered him that he never had a youth. They said it hurt his personality. He suffered. You see, there's something deep to this. 
we could have been the same Gidolim. And this is why I take issue, you hear Rabbeim in New York or in near Yisrael, the so-called Rosh Hashiva there, baseballs, Havayda Zara, Rebani Shalom. In my time, there wasn't a Talmud Chacham. Rabbi Lichtenstein was the last person alive who could give you the starting lineup of the 1945 Chicago Cubs. We used to talk, when we get to go, we talk about Phil Cavaretto. We used to make the point that some of these baseball giants, they were happily married. They went to church on Sunday. They were beautiful role models. No, is Rabbi Lichtenstein less of a Gottelsheb begedoilem because he knows that he understand this is part of you. Smach b'chol b'yaldu techa. What are you? What are you calling it? Avedazara. What Avedazara? When Avedazara? Baseball, good catch. Dimaggio, Algion, Frito. Oh my gosh! And and there's depth to this. And I call your attention to it. And it's not just that I'm telling you the story that I heard from Rabbi Nathan Drazen, who was standing next to the Mechito when he made this comment. It's in the introduction to Mishkitushim. This is part of the heritage that we have to take on. And I have to say, uh, the, the yeshiva world today, at least in America, I don't know how much in Israel you have time, but there's the interleague, the basketball, why you even had a baseball team, I don't know, right? Baruch Hashem. And I know one idiot who gave the biggest rush of his life, a two-hour hesper on Joe DiMaggio. People listen to it, they shiver shaking till today. I never got my... Then I get the most compliments of any shir I ever gave. All right. Itchem haslicha. Now, uh, uh, the, 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 whole, the whole question of what made volition so great, you see, when you attract these people from all over, everything I said, that this is the first yeshiva that goes beyond the little shtetl, the little village, but it's any bright mind, the minute you put... 50 bright minds together, 100 bright minds together, the whole level of learning is different and volition took off. And this is true of any yeshiva. In my time, what I told you yesterday about Danny Rosenthal, when I came into the yeshiva, I sought out the top talmidim. It was possible then. Today, why you was too big? Today, it's... High school, college, post-college, post-graduate. It's too big. In my time, a little schnook like myself, how old was I? 13, 13 years of age, going on 14. I saw that who the best guys. I got to know the babe. I got to know the girls. Wow, that was terrific. And when you get to know such individuals, it encourages you to learn better, to learn deeper, to use a word that is used all over the place today, even I believe the New York Times has used it, you have to steig, underline that word, you have to steig. Now, what did they study in Volusion? And, and here, 
this is uh, hard for us to comprehend today because in every yeshiva, you take a high school, you take a college, there's a curriculum. Uh, on this level that I'm teaching, there's no curriculum I'm teaching myself. Anyone who wants to join, listen, you're welcome to join. Okay, but, but when you have a curriculum, you're limited. You see, again, it comes back to the average kid came into Velazhin 13, 14, 15, 16. He already was a London. He already knew what he wanted. Remember I referred you to my work on Rebbe when JTS opened the Yiddish Tageblach. I remember it was 1896. I think I signed it. I translated it from Yiddish into English. This is a rabbi. They study 30 Dafgumara a year. You remember, I, I don't, can't repeat my lectures. Last week of the week before, it was very good, very pointed. Uh, a kid in Europe, he knows. So there was never a formal curriculum. You could study what you want. The Sheirim of the Rosh Hashivas, I explained, were voluntary. No one forced you to come. It was voluntary. All right. Gemara. What Masechet? The Shurim covered all of Shas, Al Haseda. That was Velazhin. But you could study what you want. Halacha also played a role. Although very unlike the Hasidic way of learning. Hasidic way of learning, most important is Halacha Lamaisa. When uh, Brian went to a Chassidic yeshiva, he learned Chulin at the age of 13, 14. Why is Chulin so important? Basavachalav, Shrita, Nikur, Trefat, Salachalamaisa. The literature yeshiva, the lumbus was stress. Halachalamaisa later. Smicha was given by Rabbanim, by Shtat Rav. You went, they tested you. Uh, many Rabbanim sat you down next to them. Whenever Shaila came in that day, they said, No, how would you paskin? The paskin, you understand? It, it, but it wasn't like the Hasidic yeshiva. More than that, the luncheon was very broad, meaning Rab Chaim was the Shtat Rav was the Rav of the Lushen. Now what are you going to teach Barabatim? You can't give them the Shurim you're given in the Yeshiva. And uh, The Rav was very different in the classroom than he was in Moria. Anyone who attended the two Shurim knows what I'm talking about. Moria, every week he ended off in Yonadi Yoiman, Pashat HaShavua. He told the joke. He, he livened up the audience. It was a different ballpark. In in Gris and not Gris and why you in Reeds in Room One O Two, there barely was a joke. You understand? He was it was all brisk, all Reb Chaim, all Lundis, all thinking. Reb Chaim daily gave a chumishir. This shir later continues with the Nitziv. That's how you have have the Hamak Dava, Hamak Dava on on chumish comes from the shayurim that the Nitziv gave daily. Reb Chaim Velozhenari started it. No, if Reb Chaim is giving a shir in Chumash, some of the best minds in Velozhen went to hear the shir. They studied Chumash, they studied Nach. 
was all what you were interested in. Kabbalah was never officially studied, but there's no question that there were some students who studied it on their own that were attracted. And I need not tell you, anyone who studies Nefesh HaChayim and continues the traditions and coming all the way down to the Rav, there's no question that they had a good knowledge of Zohar. No question about it. The Rav, I got the question, so I told you professors called me Hebrew you did the Rav believe in Kabbalah? I said, as part of the tradition, he studied the Kabbalah Iyunit, but I don't believe the Rav ever wrote Kvitlach, or, or you follow me, Kabbalah Masit. That, to take a coin and say some Tehillim and wrap it up and tell you never to take it off. I don't believe the Rav ever wrote Kabbalah Masit. And and as broad as the curriculum was in the luncheon, and everyone could study what they want on their own, ultimately, you had Talmidim who came out, Bekim and Shas and Paiskin and Tanakh, and very knowledgeable. But it comes back to what I've said, and I tell it to my great-grandchildren already. Can I in her? I'll see some... I saw, I had the four generations of mobs seen in my house on Shabbos, and I'll have again on Wednesday, Be'ezrat Hashem. And I always told them, what I know, what I teach, no one taught me. No one taught me. The Rav's read some of my writings. He thanked me, you know, that I'm going into different fields. I can't. I don't want to repeat the compliments because you'll see how it uh, it, it it puts me up and puts me down. In other words, uh, you know what I said. My vote. I'm always introduced the great historian, Amaretz, Boer knows nothing. Only knows a little Torah history. I wish I'd been introduced. Talmud Chacham, Shas Paiskim, and a little bit Torah history. But Kenny, it doesn't work that way. When the Rav calls you his greatest Talmud historian, that's it. You're stuck, the historian. But you see, the Lushen, all this was part of the scene. And students, they did it on their own. I tell my grandchildren, great-grandchildren, it's great-grandchildren because my grandchildren are already way beyond study. They're teaching, but doing. But my great-grandchildren, what you learn in school, the basics, how to learn, what to look for, how to understand the language, how to understand the context of rabbinic thinking. From that point on, my friend, you're on your own. You the dove, do you know Washington by heart? What did the rough tell me? Always teach what you don't know. Quote the rough, word by word. That way you learn something and everyone else learns something. But, wow, what you don't know. And what you don't know is the world. That's the Rav Zadavot. Why the word Talmud Chacham? You've heard the Rav's word. If you think you're a Chacham, you've never achieved. You're always a Talmud trying to become a Chacham. Okay, now, one more point about curriculum. And here too you have to know a great deal 
of what went on. A lot of people try to put everything, homogenize it into one little area. Nowadays in Lakewood, you're going to say, we have to go to university, we have to go to college, we have to get masters, doctorates. They'll kick you out head first, at least in my time in Lakewood. Today, Lakewood is very big. You may have all types. But in my time in Lakewood, Torah is Torah. That's it. Tva Hashem Bizar. The Gemara in Chalik. I can hear a Baron Cutlin in my mind. Tva Hashem Bizar. Mingetze College. Mimvatel Teire. You waste time. Now, on the other hand, everyone, we remember we did with the Gong. The Gong said we have to translate all the mathematic books into Hebrew. Ayin Meshulash. Every drop of knowledge that we're missing, we in secular knowledge, we're missing a hundred times more Yehuda in, Je, in Torah knowledge. Reb Chaim too, there's similar quotes. You can see Yishtam for quoting. But I'll tell you, what the difference is. In the early 1800s, in Eastern Europe, the Haskalah was minimal. It wasn't like Germany or Hungary, I just quoted the Chatham Sofer a half hour ago, it wasn't like Germany, Hungary, that Haskalah was rampant, wild. You're fighting a battle. So there, you see, people were worried. A Lakewood boy will start university, Torah Matahayalecha. When will he learn? When will he master Shasun Paiskim? More than that, by the time a scholar hits Eastern Europe, the 1870, 1880, 1890, 1900, two World War I, very big thrust. Many people left the base measures. Got to make a living. I got to be a doctor. I have to be a lawyer. Panasa, Torah matachayoleha. The early 1800s, you didn't fight this enemy, and there was a much more benevolent, open attitude towards general studies. And you can be sure in Belushin, if someone had a greenish cup. And he was interested in uh, mathematics, biology, chemistry. No one would negate him. No one would say this is incorrect. It was a different feeling then. And ain't hachinami. The more general knowledge you know, the greater you are in Torah. What are the most difficult mesechtat ani, a riven nida yevamat? No, out of machon lev, Professor Shaver, zeichet tzadik levracha. You don't even know this. This was the man that Benachem Begin wanted to make president. We would have had a real shemesh Shabbos president. Sfadia, people laughed at Begin. He came out with a cipher with diagrams, computer diagrams on Yavamot, on brothers and sisters, five brothers, five sisters, etc. It's terrific. Neither. What you have today with intelligence, with the Veset, Veset Kavua, Veset Shana Kavua, charts, programs, 
Wow. A Reuven measurements. Uh, there's no question. I, Mechon Lev, no one can disagree with. The why you concept already is a lot broader. And here I went to YU courses in English literature. And I've told you until today, I was always amazed that no matter what you read in English literature, the Canterbury Tales, Beowulf, I go on and on, everything was sex. Everything was sex. Freud was absolutely correct. You follow me, Yehuda Dove? And that already, you read literature. So maybe we have to draw the line. Maybe not. Maybe we have to, again, I, I, remember what I told you about uh, the, the literature, the Greek uh, uh, literature about the gods and about the sins and the raping and the seducing and the robbery. And uh, time and again they would go to the rub. What do we have to know this for? And the rub would say, what? You don't want to know the foundations of Western civilization? And I took it a drop further. I said, Greek literature is fabulous, Greek mythology, whatever you want to call it, because it shows you what the gods do. Well, if the gods can do it, and there are already people we look up to, why can't we do it? And then you can understand, presidents of the United States. No, Trump, I'm 100% in favor for the state of Israel. I agree with Ben Gavir. You know what's going on right in the news today. I agree with Ben Gavir. But I wouldn't call Trump a model for proper Torah sexual behavior. Clinton! I can't even tell you what I know about <coughs> Clinton and some of his sexual practice. Believe me, Kenny, I know black and white because a student of mine, her family was involved. Can't say it publicly. Wow. JFK? I think back how I eulogized him and, and oh, what went on and they published it and I got a thank you from Jacqueline Kennedy. What a maneuver. Wow. No? These men are our presidents? Absolutely. They are Greek gods. If the gods can do it, the mortals can do it. Now, I, this is an interesting question. Where do you draw the line? Rabbi Lichtenstein was asked about, you know, English literature and literature in general, and he's made the point that we can appreciate deep emotion from literature. And there may be something to it, particularly the Russian literature, Tolstoy, War and Peace, uh, other masterful writings. The Russians had a feeling of emotion. They turned out Tchaikovsky, they turned out great compositions and artists and literature. Could we, we gain something that we're not going to get anywhere else? But I, in the state of Israel, unfortunately, this question doesn't come to the fore. We're so busy with the army. Halavai, when you finish army, you can get your degree. As, as I wrote to uh, the Reisdorf this morning, um, Michael, 
I wrote to him who my grandson is. He should know who he helped. So Hester boy, till he finished Hester. Then he went to university, has a degree in robotica, works in Hebrew U, but they start very late. I, you can't do liberal arts if you first finish Hester at the age of 23, 24. All right, but there's no question that originally in Volusian, general knowledge was not a threat. It was accepted graciously, particularly uh, science and mathematics, which and history as well, by the way. Josephus, they wanted that translated. It adds to your knowledge, adds to your understanding of Shas Paiskim and who we are. The miracle of this classroom that we sit here after 2,000 years of exile and yours truly, basic training, 15 years reserves, 10 years Mossad, children, grandchildren, soon I'll have my first great-grandson in the army. There's a miracle, a miracle. And it's Lev, 100%. Why you will leave the question hang fire? Rav Shinshafal Hirsch would not be happy with why you. The Rav was happy with why you. The Rav's feeling was, if you're going to have a university, it has to be a real university. And it has to prepare you for life with all the curveballs that will be thrown at you at Torah and you're at Shemayim. Look at the New York Times, how many curveballs we've had to handle over the generations. When I was growing up, the rub, the New York Times was like, oh, Maimed Hasinai. And he would in his drushes talk about what he read, the New York Times, what he agreed, what he disagreed. But wow, how many curveballs they threw at us. And today already, it's a little bit better. Without Torah Hashem to me, but there'll be no Jews left in the world. And even the New York Times may start to realize that. Okay. Now, the Rosh Yeshiva and his role, and here, here you come to uh, traditions that began in Volusian and continued right until modern times. Uh, the Rosh Yeshiva was not like a professor. He didn't walk in and didn't walk out. He was part and parcel of the yeshiva, part and parcel of the kehila, part and parcel of the community. He was Rosh yeshiva and Rav of Lajan. Now, what did that mean, Halachala Maisa? He was available. He was in the base medrash. The Lajan they learned around the clock, 724, you could find Reb and all the way down to Nenetziv. Suddenly, 11 o'clock at night, the Rosh Hashiva walks into the base medrash. His family was amalgamated into the yeshiva. Top students, Friday night, Shabbos, you ate in the Rosh Hashiva's home. You were invited. See, it was a different atmosphere altogether. More than that, 
the Rosh Hashiva could pick up the scuttlebutt, the gossip. He knew what was going on. You'll see this much later when we deal with the Nitziv and deal with memoir literature. But I'll give you one example. It's right here on page 58. You'll see the footnote. People came into Volusion from all over Europe. Some of the people that came in had been exposed in their youth to pilpul, uh, the Palishan method of study, a little bit different than Volusion risk writing the Sigur understanding here, not going far abreast and building beautiful ladders going up to heaven, but not necessarily logically correct. So one student, he mentions the name, you're known by the city you came from. So the Rabunishavet said, whatever that city was, that was the nickname of that student. It's like, uh, Brian, where were you raised? In uh, Kingsbridge, the Kingsbridge, uh, uh, right? Riverdale, Riverdale. No, that's afterwards, Riverdale. Don't, I was born in the Bronx. Don't, don't boast, don't, don't play the shtick on me that Riverdale's not part of the Bronx. You, the dove, doesn't know what we're talking about. But uh, the the people in Riverdale want you to think they're like an up there in Scarsdale, upstate. Oh, you grew up, so you know what I'm talking about. Don't give me that baloney, it's the Bronx. But anyway, be it as it may, the... Uh, I moved they, to the Bronx in 1965. I grew up in the same street my father grew up. My father grew up, when they moved from Harlem, they moved to Washington Avenue 174th, and I grew up Washington 180th. Follow me six blocks away from my father. My father had one advantage. He lived close to... The, that was in the middle of where the shoes were. The shoes were from Tremont Avenue down to 170th, 169th. Ugh, oh, there were so many shoes. It was unbelievable. How much Yiddishkeit remains from all those shoes? If 1%, that's right, 1%, 2% maybe. Ugh, oh, breaks the heart. Breaks the heart. But that's America. The miracle is that we're here. You follow, Brian? That's the miracle. So we're coming back here. They spoke about Rav Chaim Volashen. The Kingsbridge said, yeah, the Rebbe gives these logical shayurim because he doesn't know how to give a pimple like I heard in the, my whole home. So Rav Chaim heard that and he gave a sheer a fabulous pimple. And when he finished, he said, now don't you say I don't know how to give a pimple, but that's not our approach. And that, that was Yopayim, that's Volushim, that's how it began. And no institution, imagine a yeshiva, Volushim, Yopayim, it took off and ultimately conquered a good part of the Torah world, even ultimately part of the Hasidic world until today. Now, I want to come back to the Nefesh Chaim. I want to come back to a point we raised last week. And I want to show you some fabulous sources. This question of how to balance out logic, rational thinking, brisk, and emotion, 
This question haunts us until today. It began over 200 years ago in Volusian, and we still struggle with it. Remember, humans are different. Some people, more logical, rational, cold, kautkite in Yiddish. Some people are more emotional. Some people need the rational. Some people need the emotion. There's no question you can't have one without the other. You need a balance. Each one has to balance it his way. Could be you need 80-20, 70-30, you follow? But how do we find this balance? We struggle with this until this very moment. I've said this many times, but I want to say it again. Following World War II, if anyone ever did the research, I don't know if it's ever been done, what percentage of Chassidim remain from? What percentage of Lutavakim remain from? Remember, what they went through, you can never understand. When I was a kid growing up in Arthur Avenue, where my grandfather had fights in every shoe, <laughs> so we finally left Washington Avenue. We davened Arthur. That's where I was by Mitzvah Arthur Avenue. That's where my Yusuf was. My memories are of Arthur Avenue, Yeshiva Rabbeinu Chaim where Yisrael Levitz. You know, any, any of you know Dr. Levitz, Professor Levitz, and my regards. That's where he went to elementary school. It was right near his house, elementary yeshiva. So, uh, Arthur Avenue, there was a guy who came to Dothening. Also, many survivors there. And we found out that whenever his wife cooked chicken soup, she added half a cup of milk. So I went to the rabbi, you know, I, what did I understand? I was an American kid, third generation American. I told the rabbi, why don't you say something? He said, that rabbi had such seichel, I'll never forget, it was Rabbi Tashish, when I see the Usami family. He said to me, Abu Zayn Given, what they went through, we can't understand. You can never rebuke them. You can never reprimand them. This woman was mad at God. The story with Reb Meishan, the famous story that came out uh, recently, that uh, he, he has to see a medical doctor, and it's up in the mountains, and the lady is a survivor, a medical doctor, put herself through medical school, got to America, and Reb Meishan is waiting to see her, and I think it's his nephew with him, and the lady comes out and she sees Reb Meisha. She embraces him and hugs him. And the kid laid a little his to Reb Meisha. Reb Meisha says, Machashvayg, look at her arm. You saw the number? What she went through, don't say a word. So, it's 
very powerful story with Rabbi Moshe, and I see Yehuda Dove went into shock with my story. Hello, by the way, yesterday's shear was classic for the merger between REITs and BRGS. Know what we're talking about? Bernard Revel Graduate School? Perfect synthesis yesterday. But you can't get out of the chuva. So, um, what's amazing is, it's my gut feeling, Chassidim remained from on a much higher percentage than the Litvakan. And I can prove it, I can, it's not necessary. The greatest story that I've told you so many times and I heard from my own family who were there, my wife's family, when the sixth Rebbe arrived in America in 1940 to remain. So they put ads in all the Jewish newspapers. Devis haut Chabad nenten dear. Anyone who holds Chabad close and dear and loves it. Come to the pier, Battery Park, this time, this boat, the sixth Rebbe is coming to America. Thousands came. Most of them were Mechalele Shabbos. That had been in America from the 20s to 30s. When the Rebbe appeared in a wheelchair, he was already after a stroke, and he's being wheeled by Rebbe Shmaiah Guraya, his son-in-law. Someone started an old Chabad making. Thousands of people joined in the Nigan and started to cry. People went home, told their wives, the Rebbe's dog, the Rebbe's here, we can never be Mechalo Shabbos again. The women laughed at them. Remember what I told you? You don't remember what the movies were, the palace, the RKO, the theater, there was no television, no... No computer. I haven't turned the television on in ages. Everything I get from my computer. And, and, and to go to the movie Saturday night, you dressed up, faputz, the Yiddish word. I can't translate it. Fancy. And you, you had a 10 o'clock appointment with the hairdresser Saturday morning since 1929. You told your husband, go fly a kite. I'm going to lose that appointment. I have a chazaka. You know when the women became from? When the kids came home from day school, yeshiva, and said, Mama, Sashanda, to Cape Stuff Shabbos, you gave Holland Shabbos, you desecrate the Shabbos, it's, it's a shame for us, Sashanda. That's when the women, women for children will do anything. For husbands, Mela, but for children, anything. And that's the way it should be. And this question, how do you balance out learning emotion? Okay. First of all, I want to show you a source. I have a Talmud, Rav Nachum Shmayahu. Yomo, how do you pronounce his last name? Zayetz. Uh, I picked him up before some of you were born, when there were still tapes circulating cassettes of my shurim. 
And I, I'm very proud to tell you he today is an official historian in Chabad. And he's a real historian. He helps me comes up with sources, goes through archives. Rav Nachem Shmayahu comes from big Yichus. His grandfather, Harav Hagon, Rav Nachman Shmayahu, Shashun Kin, for whom he's named. It's a big rav under the communist. And he left an autobiography. Zichronotai, um, published in Yerushalayim, 1988. And I'm quoting, it was downloaded from Otsa HaChachma. And beginning in chapter 4, it is so revealing. Now, this is what we spoke about until now was 200 years ago. This is approximately 100 years ago, 120 years ago. I'm going to give you sources from 60 years ago and from today. The same problem haunts us. And here in this memoir, he is so perfect, he captures this problem. Bullseye. Uh, Brian, where are you headed for? I'm going to teach my class. I'm here in Baifikan. Where, where are you teaching? Himmelfarb. Ah, they're the ones who approached me in 69 to teach there. And I turned them down. Why? I didn't know Hebrew well enough. I didn't know slang. And I was afraid Israeli high school kids would slaughter me. <laughs> they were willing to give me the highest shear. They really wanted to accommodate a Talmud of the Rav. But I had to turn them down. I have a grandson who went there, who turned out, came out of it at Sadiq. And they deserve all the credit in the world. Unfortunately, in this war, they have lost a lot of graduates. Sadikim Tahorim. Kistemizus are for me. Okay, with Derek Heritz. Good seeing you. Regards to Penny. Okay, don't forget, he's married to a student of mine, Yehud. Do you follow? Okay. Can, can you spell the names, please? I, 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 the name of the author? Uh, me, I just don't, I don't know how to write them. Shin, Shin, Vav, Nun, Kuf, Yud, Nun, Sophie. Shash, Shashunkin, Shashunkin. Okay, now, the story here is, he was raised Litvish, not Hasidus. And, uh, he studied elementary yeshiva in his labriot, in his hometown. And uh, he said, when he finished elementary yeshiva, he has to decide where to continue his Torah education. Libo chashka Torah, his heart wanted Torah. Where do you go? So in his community, there were Hasidim and there were Litvakim and, and there were kids that came back from Tells and other Litva Yeshiva. Let's say we're talking about 1900, kids from Volazhin. 
and Gloshen had reopened already. We'll come to that much later. And all these people from the Litvashi Yeshivat had no payet anymore, not behind their ears, had blorit, blorit, how do you translate that? A chup, how do you translate a chup? Had a big head of hair in front. And there were Hasidic kids who laughed at them. And uh, not only that, he noticed that many, and this is what we referred to before a hundred years ago, many of the Tills graduates were leaving yeshiva, going to gymnasium, going to medical school, getting degrees, lawyers, want to make a living, want to succeed in the world. And he was not happy. He wanted to So here you have responsible literature. What yeshiva did he consider that he heard about Rotten, that the kids who are in Rotten are from more religious than elsewhere. So this is fascinating that it seems the Chafetz Chaim, on the other hand, you know the story with the Chafetz Chaim, that uh, a kid in Rotten was smoking on Shabbos. And they brought him to the Chafetz Chaim, Chafetz Chaim refused to throw him out of the yeshiva, held him with his two hands, and said, Shabbos, Shabbos to the kid. The kid never spoke again on Shabbos. Yudadov, you think that story is apocryphal? So let me tell you something. You've heard of Shlomo Riskin, Steve was speaking in South Florida. He told this story. I'm going back 40, 50 years now. He told this story, and when he finished the story, an old man stood up and was crying like a baby. And the man said, If Neyam Ve'eda, Ichab Geven the Talmud, I'm the student who smoked on Shabbos. And the story is absolutely true. The Chavetz Chaim held my hands and said, Shabbos, Shabbos, and giving, he cried. I never was Mechalov Shabbos again. That's a true story. That happened to me once, I can't go into it now, in Detroit, 1977 when I told the story and an old man in a wheelchair over a hundred years of age was wheeled up, fell on top of me, crying, we can't I was there, I was there. It also happened to me in 1965 approximately in Yeshiva's Peskalchanan. I was giving Musar on a Thursday afternoon to my shir and I told the story about Rabbi Hanan and Branovich, and the next day, Sunday, when we had class again, 
the father of one of the boys came, a Rav, a Yerapeyashur, a survivor, and he fell on my shoulder. How do you know? I was there in the yeshiva when it happened, okay? So I'm telling you sometimes what sounds apocryphal is absolutely true. Now, while he's trying to decide what yeshiva to go to, he hears that in Kishinev, there is a Jewish millionaire, Perlmutter. Excuse me. And Perlmutter has a yeshiva that he built, that he houses, and it's on a very high level. Goes to Kishinev, comes into the yeshiva, and he can't believe his eyes, three stories, clean, beautiful, bottom story, a base medrash, a dining room, second story, classrooms, third story, a dormitory. And, and he can't believe his eyes. But all the boys are Hasidic. How does he tell right away? See, again, there's a real-life description. The Litvashi Yeshivat, not only clean shaven, not only no payas, not only a chup, short clothes. Medena Shekleida, modern clothes. A kutzerekel, a short jacket. See the kids? Bekesha. Payas. Comes in. Everyone laughs at him. Nema Kukvas Adonka come and take a look who came in. Ah, Litisha Noisfaf Bum. What does he know? They were learning Psachim. And he Nachim Shmayahu knew Psachim. They start talking with him and learning. Oh, the Litva can learn him. He knows how to learn. But they tell him you're never going to get into this yeshiva because you're not a chassid. Go talk with Mr. Perlmutter. He goes, he talks with Mr. Perlmutter who welcomes him with open arms and with covet, but he says, look, we can't accept you into our yeshiva. This is for chassidim. You know what's happening to the yeshiva. A Bad spirit is coming in from the outside. We don't want that here. You're going to come in with modern clothes, no beard, no prayers. Can't have that here. And he will not accept them into the yeshiva. While he's in Kishinev, he finds out there's a Schneerson living there part of the family and uh, this Schneerson uh, is makar of him and he tells him go to Chabad once you go to Chabad once you go to Lubavitch Yeshiva you'll see there's Torah here at Shemayim and there's learning. And he's starting to talk to him, to convince him. 
he's davening in the shtibble, and he noticed after they daven every day, the shamis opens up a closet that is under lock and key, and out of the closet comes yash, whiskey, cake, cookies, kichlach. They make a lachayim, and after davening, they tell stories about tzaddikim. And what we call a hitvadur, a fabrenyin, a miniature. They have to go to work, but miniature. And he, he wonders what's going on. So Litvak, who heard of such things? And they tell him, no, there are merely important ideas here. And they say to him, Hades Ashir and Echad. Dalit. What comes right afterwards? Yishtabach. Yud Shin. Take the Dalit and Yud Shin and what do you get? Kadai. Shin Dalit Yud. The name of the Almighty. And this is why when we finish davening, Hades Olenu end? Echad. Dalit, we then take Yash, Yud Shin, we drink and we combine it with the Dalit. And what's the purpose? Lirmoz, God's name, our belief, our dedication. And they tell him a story that some Chassid of Rabbi Yisrael Mirushin and after davening, he would drink and join the Hasidim, and then afterwards he says, Spittle Tater, Beatles man, and he stopped drinking. And he gets married and can have no children. Comes to the Rushna, the Rushna tells him, Of course, you can't have children. When you used to drink Yash, Right after davening, Fabrain, what do you say, Max? L'chaim. You say L'chaim, you have children, life. You stop drinking, there's no L'chaim. There's no life. So, ah, this young man is being exposed. Civic way of life. Littish way of life. And finally, after Sukkot, he and his father go to Lubavitch. Lubavitch already, he meets friends of his from where he grew up. They welcome him. See, here Lubavitch already, 120 plus years ago, they were much more open. The fact that you walk in in Madena Shekleda, that you walk in with a short jacket, the fact that you don't have a beard and payas yet, no, welcome. Anyone who comes, kol haba b'shem Hashem. Welcome. Let him come in. Warm up. You become part of us. Not overnight, slowly but surely. 
And here he writes about the difference, he says. In Chabad, in Tomchei Tamimim, which was the name of the yeshiva founded in 1897 by the sixth, by the fifth Rebbe of Shalom Dovber and putting his son, the sixth Rebbe, Rebbe Yosef Yitzchak, in charge of it. Uh, first of all, everyone wears tzitzit full size. And here you see living testimony that in Litva, Lita, they wouldn't mock, but on full side sits it. Why are full side sits it so important? Shabbos, carrying. It, it shouldn't be a beggar of a katan. He says, where I came from, you wore a talit katan. It was really katan. In Chabad, Gadol, and he praises wool, and you know, and I hear I have to admit I'm a sinner from high school on, I've always worn these type of tzitzit. It's, I have grandchildren wear mamish real wool, and my body can't tolerate it. I, I just, I start sweating. All right, I wear a shear. This is a chazoni shishir I'm wearing, but all right, I'm making on the, on you follow what, what? What do you? What do you want to call this? I don't know what it's called. Even. Uh, sh- what, 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 what? You wouldn't have a mitzvah if you're uncomfortable wearing the wool ones. No, don't say that. I'm just telling you. But he's boasting that in Chabad they're going with mamish wool and sitzit. Then he describes the tefillin. Here I have nothing to apologize for. I just, I just refurbished my tefillin after Corona because I knew they were ruined by governing outside the moisture. I don't ask me what I spent tefillin that cost me fifty dollars back in 1955 or 56. I spent thousands of shekel. Not and it's the same button, but they're redone and whatnot. But the parsha tefillin, oh, I splurged the best. And and uh, he describes that the Litvasha, we bought tefillin, people would come around selling tefillin, we trusted them, who knows? Oh, in Chabad, only from Yerayim Vishlamim that you knew. And wow, this too impressed him. More than that, see, here you come to another description live. Kenny, you learned in yeshiva, litvashi yeshiva, the minute you hear agada, you skipped it. Remember that? I was the only rebbe in YU that didn't skip agada. Reb Mendel Sachs was impressed. I said, it's also Torah, you have to know agada is very important. Warms the heart. Right now I'm learning chaylek, I'm finishing Sanhedrin. But let me tell you, Yehuda, I, with all the new perushim and all that they gave me a gift with the art scroll and blah, I still, I stick to the Rambam. Perik Yudbet, Halacha Bet, Yehuda Dov, if you try to figure out when the kates will be. Tepak Rucham, Shem You follow me? Still haven't gained any knowledge that I didn't have before. But he describes in Chabad, they learn the Agada. They don't skip. And wow, 
he says, I don't recognize my friends from the old shtetl. Look what, look what has become of them. And he joins the yeshiva. He's the happiest person in the world. Then he describes going to sleep, waking up. No, a litvish yeshiva. What do you do? Did you ever leave a pail near bed with water? No, we're all summer under our spa. That under the roof, it's dollar amot. We go into the bathroom, we pour this and that. Here in Siddhishi Yeshiva, big pails, water, cups, tins. Students sleep with tzitzit. Show me one litvak that sleeps with tzitzit. Ooh, you're not chayiv at night. It's what, what's going on? You can't make a bracha. Not Chassid. Same thing with payas. That's the way. I remember when I was a kid, it was explained to me. God wants payas. If God wants payas, the more we give him, the better we are as Jews. All right? Okay. Something to it. Something to it. You see, he's overwhelmed. Then he describes the daffening. And you see, here you come, it is such a chasm between the Litvish Welt and the Hasidic Welt, the daffening. And let me, let me call up experience. Litvish world, Mincha, show me one Litvish yeshiva where they Davin the whole Mincha and Chazaras Hashats. Heche Kedusha. Do you know why Yehuda Dova Heche Kedusha? Mendaf Lerinin. Beetle Tater. Wow. Who heard of such a thing? Someone just asked me, was the Rav Makpur on Heche? I know from Israel. I saw a Heta floating around here that if you have a Chavruta, you don't have to go to... To, to daven with the minion for mincha, daven, 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 and boy, oh boy, I'm, uh, I, I don't like that. I'm very upset that in the religious Zionist world, people a shul has to be as crowded Wednesday night as Friday night. <coughs> but that's nothing. Heicha kedusha, Rav Fishman. Max, who am I talking about? The Fishman, I dedicated my... Did you read my article? That, by the way, uh, thank you, Father, again for the nice things he said about my, my piece on rabbinic authority. Did you, did you study it or not, Max? I didn't study it. If you don't know it by heart, you don't know how to breathe there. Who did I dedicate it to? Rebchenich Fishman. My Rebbe from me, I spoke about him yesterday. Remember yesterday, Rev. Ruben Levavitz's Talmud. You know what Rav Hanif told me? I was too young to appreciate the depth of his words. But boy, for 70 good years, I have shivered and shaked with the depth of his words. Ein zachabich faribble. One thing I regret. When I learned in Mir, Friday night, Kabbalah Shabbat l'chadoldi, they were sitting and learning. Not daffening. You follow the difference? Who heard 
Kabbalah Shabbos, Avushtait, where, what, when, where, show me one Amora who said, L'chunaranana. Show me one Amora who said, one Rishon who sang L'chadodiv. No, you're the dog, am I making it up or am I hitting the nail on the head? Who, who wrote L'chadodiv? Rav Shlomo Alkabetz. He has direct descendants in Israel. Alkabetz. No, sick, what are we talking? 1500, 16? I claim you can't be a Jew if you don't sing L'chadodi with Kavana. It's the secret of our existence. Halavai, every Jew with no L'chadodi would be a different Shabbat, would be a different Jewish people wouldn't have the tragedy of what we had here with Woodstock. Ah, Rabbi Hanich, I'll never forget that. He said to me, one thing, one thing I regret. I was a kid, I was 13, 14 at the time. I didn't understand the depth, the depth of what he was saying. I was 12, 13. So he comes to Lubavitch and you got to read his description of the daffening. He says, I never saw anything like it. They wake up. They put on tefillin and they say Kriyachma. Why do they say Kriyachma? Because they're worried this month is going to be over. Why will it be over? After they say Kriyachma with Tfilin on, why with Tfilin? It's an open Gemara that if you say Kriyachma without Tfilin, you may have a good Shekha. Shatum liota liyadecha vachayule totafot benenecha. And then they go to Mikvah. They study Hasidit for two hours. Then, then they're ready, then they daven. But they daven at a time that you can longer be outside Kriyachma, only Tvila. That's why they have the dichotomy, first Shma with Tvilin. Mikvah Siddhis and then the real daffening. And many of them with such kavana with tears for Hare Nenu Bitoratecha Vadabekli Bainu Bamitzvotecha and Bukol Bokhim Vainayam Domot Volone Vosh Volonikale. Oh, what a description, huh? I don't have to sell the point. Do you see the difference? A Litvashi Yeshiva and a Hasidashi Yeshiva. And this Nachem Shraga, his heart was pulled to Hasidus. And then he tells us one more thing. Very fascinating that he wasn't yet accepted in the yeshiva. He had to take a beginning, he had to be interviewed. 
And when he finished davening the first time, he's wandering around. It's now everyone's learning. He doesn't know what to do. But there's a small room on the side of the big hall. And he figures he'll go and learn in there till they'll interview him. He opens the door, he goes in, he's astounded. There are about 15, 20 people davening with such kavana, with Hitlerhavod in that room. Couldn't sit and learn there. And he found out these were people who wanted more. They were called Ovdim worshippers. See? And this is this is Hasidus. I'll end off with one story, a true story. This story played very big. I still remember I was a junior in college, fifty 56, was I a junior, a sophomore in college? Sophomore. Story hit us very hard in America. Sinai campaign. Friday night. No one knew anything until Saturday night. They announced what had happened. They broke into Sinai Friday night. The biggest Rebbe in the state of Israel at that time was the Belzer Rebbe, Rabbi Lerokach. Tel Aviv, Rechov Am. Today it's the Talmud Torah. He established his shtibble in Tel Aviv. Very interesting. And uh, Friday night, that Friday night, He's davening, and uh, he reaches Pores Sukkot Shalom Aleinu Valkala Mo Yisrael Ve'Ali Rishalayim, and uh, he signals his Gabbai to finish davening, let the people go home, and he goes into Hitler Havut with those words, repeating, repeating. Repeating. Twelve midnight. The barrela finished. Davening. He asked the Rebbe to make, he asked his Gabbai to make Yiddish for him. And he spoke very few words. He said, Eight Sarali Yaakov, Unich fast. He's fasting all of Shabbat. Make Kiddush, be him with Kiddush. No one knew. Story went out all over Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv then was a firm city. It's not like Tel Aviv today that we have to reconquer for Torah and Yerit Shemayim. All the Rebbeim were in Tel Aviv. The Machets, the, 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 uh, the unbelievable amount of Rebbeim in Tel Aviv. And the uh, story went out, spread like wildfire. Saturday night, when Svah Haganah Yisrael Hodiah, 
and announced what had happened and the biggest battles were fought from, from the time the Rebbe reached Parais Sukkot Shalom till midnight when they broke through into Sinai. From that point on, it was a question of mopping up, but there was no question they would reach the canal. It was when the Rebbe was in Hitlahavut in ecstasy. And you see, that was davening, that was the Hasidic world, that was the difference. Now, in memoir literature, they say that some of the generals, and you got to remember that these generals, the original generals, I knew some of them, I saw some of them, I saw the gear, bells, they were all from good stock. They had the feeling that young people raised today in Woodstock do not have. Even if they had moved off the path, but the feeling of Yerat Shemayim, of a Rebbe, they say some of the generals went to him for a bracha. They didn't know what would happen the first time the Israeli army would be fighting on such a level since 48. And they say that's how the Rebbe knew. And he knew the exact moments that he had to daven with such kavana. So this is the difference. But we're far from finished. I'm going to show you more sources bringing it right down to today, to our world. Where do we draw the line? Where do we combine? Where do we bring together the Nefesh HaChayim and the Tanya? And, and this question, our future depends upon it, in my humble opinion. If we're just going to teach knowledge, we don't ground the person. We're going to have Tatlashim and people who live the Haredi world. If we give them pride, emotion, belonging, understanding, commitment, connection, we're going to have a beautiful new generation. Where do we draw the line? How do we merge? How do we synthesize? This is the challenge for the next generation. My generation, we've done what we can. You have to take it further. Those of you listening, those of you in front of me, take it further. Kindle the flames much brighter, multicolored, and raise the banner of Torah, the covered Ulatiferet. Okay. To reiterate, yesterday we did a world in a different world. We're still not finished. Sunday's class has a gift that you'll say, Rebbe, it was worth coming to class today just to hear a story about Reb Meishev, Sadovechik, etc. Today, what did we do? All right, we went a little bit further. Shol Stam for the memoir literature. Don't forget Rav Shlomo Palachik. Don't forget the Mechita. Don't forget Smach Bachu Bialdutecha. That's also part of life. 
And then we came back to what we began last week, the Nefesh HaChayim vis-a-vis the Tanya. And uh, the memoir of Rabbi Nachman Shmayahu, a fabulous memoir, because it's describing something we're not guessing. You follow? We're not historians trying to guess what happened. We have a student telling us how he understood what happened. And we'll build upon it. There's Rat Hashem. Are there any questions? Okay, first of all, uh, Kenny, do me a favor. Just give me, give me the uh, book. I just want to compliment. Um, yeah, and what's underneath it as well. Uh, see, if, if anyone is interested, this is a story of someone I know quite well, how they, the biggest chesed you can imagine, chesed shal emet, how they're trying, there are many soldiers buried, Almoni Ploni from 48. People got off the boats that brought them to Israel. Survivors went into the army. Some of them were killed in battle, and we don't even know their names. A friend of mine is part of a group that tries desperately to find out who these soldiers were. And here you'll see the, how, how they identified them in DNA, and it's a very inspiring article. The Rebate uh, Din of America put out a volume which they distributed widely, and this deals essentially with modern problems. How do we have a bait and how do we function in a democracy? How do we function with secular courts of law? What's the interaction? Can we go to the Beit Din and not go to the secular court? very magnificent issue with very fascinating articles. Uh, and I'll tell you what makes me very happy. There's a whole new generation today. For instance, Rabbi Itama Rosenzweig. I don't, I don't know who he is. I have a feeling he's the son of a, a, a student of mine. Uh, 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 Eliach, married to Rosenzweig, if I'm correct. But here you have an up-and-coming star. Rabbi Mordechai Willick, all right, that name I know. Rabbi Yonah Reese, that name I know. Uh, Rabbi Shlomo Weissman, a name I new name. Rabbi Michal Zilberman, new name. Uh, I have to say, most heartwarming to see the new generation. I still remember sitting with some elder rabbis, RCA members and a new rabbi was elected president and they're maledicting him. Who's he? What does he know? He's a kid. He's this, he's that. I said, gentlemen, you were once kids. You once didn't know anything either. Give them a chance. And people grow with the challenge. It is a beautiful issue. If anyone wants it, you're welcome to take it. I may have more copies next week to give out if anyone wants. Okay, Yomo, Yomo, can you open it up to the world? Uh, uh, Baruch Hashem, we have a bigger crowd on screen than in person, but uh, not by that much. Yeah, go ahead, open it up.
Recording stopped. Okay, are there any questions from around the world? Uh, Yoshua, where are you with a... You're in a car? I'm in the car, yes. Okay, not a boat, not an airplane. Okay, Baruch Hashem. They're not as sophisticated yet. They have a live too. Uh-huh. In any case, um, I wanted to first of all thank you, Rabbi, for the beautiful dedication at the beginning of this year. Well, that was your father. Uh, but I love that story. I'm going to grab a gun. What an I don't idiots! I've heard that so many times. I look at them, idiots. You're, a, you're going to come here and be a be a problem for us. One more person to protect. He's going to grab a gun. Oh my gosh! Absolutely. But, okay. Just to comment, in, um, you mentioned many times that the name of the rug that if you want to win a chassid in a battle, all you have to throw at him is be with his run and not sitting in sukkah and chutzlaret. Quote end quote. Right. I want to add. I want to add, I was once on a plane with someone from a Litvashi yeshiva very known. And he was telling me how they are the real yeshivas. And, you know, they have the yeshivas they learn, but it's not exactly at the level. And the me, they don't necessarily follow the Shulchan Aruch in everything they do. I looked at him and I said, tell me, did you stop in Mincha today in the yeshiva? He said, absolutely. And I said, did you follow the Shulchan Aruch in Simon Kuf Kaftan that says, Hidu Chazar from then on, he was quiet. Uh, no, but I, I don't know if you can generalize on that. But uh, beside that, I have to stick with the Rav because I heard it with these two ears. So, uh, Baruch Hashem. All right. Uh, Yoshua, I heard what I said about the Chatam Seifer, right? You, you got, I'm sorry, I didn't hear. You, you heard what I said about the Chatam Seifer? Yes, yes, I heard. Okay, Thank so you, you got to understand... When you're preaching to an audience, it's different than what you really think. He's dealing with real problems there. And you'll find that time and again in his drashat, you have to see it against the battle with the maskilim at that time. But all right, so Chatham Seifer turned out yesh for yesh on both sides of the coin. All right, are there any more questions? Woodstock twice. Is it possible that on Sukhas Torah, their music festival, was another Woodstock, like a sexual orgy, and that a Kodesh Baruch was not happy with us? Well, that's what some people say. I, I discussed that. I don't want to say anything bad. But the Woodstock concept, part of that, that not to pay attention to Shabbat, Sukhas Torah, Shemini Atzeres, it's like the... the 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 kovat hamishkal. I don't know. I speak Hebrew better than English today. The kovat hamishkal is on the individual. What I want to do, and that's Woodstock. I don't know if there was a sexual orgy there, but there certainly was chelus shabbos, etc., etc. Massive chelus shabbos. And uh, I call it Woodstock because I don't want to refer to it, and it's, it's, it goes back to Woodstock. It's that way of thinking. And the Tinochet Shinishbu, if you recall, I differ with that Tunisian Talmud Chacham who said that the Datlashim and the and, Haredim and who left the fold and the Tinochet Shinishbu, I disagree with him. 
But the challenge is to educate that we should not have a Woodstock again. And well, the other question is, is it at all possible, neither can they get neither, that we, the government kicked out Push Katip, which was a yeah, wonderful, uh, wonderful group, uh, right. and now it's the same place we have problems. It's even worse than you think, because it turns out that the Kibbutz Be'eri was laughing and mocking the people being kicked out. That's the left. The left has risen its head again. You hear what they say. Uh, a lot of people are saying it. I'd rather not try to understand the Kaddish Baruch at this moment. Let's get through the war. Let's get through the hostage situation. Let's bench Let's see our grandchildren back home in peace. Then we can make Heshbon HaNefesh. But right now, I know a lot of my grandchildren are being called up up north. It seems they've brought three divisions up north. Now, going into Lebanon, by the way, I was all over Lebanon. I was in every area. There are a lot of Christian Arabs who will be willing to help us. The problem is that they're a minority. And until we come in and pay the price and conquer, they're not going to come out of the woodwork for fear that their heads will be chopped off. You'll see, once we reach the Litani, suddenly you're going to see a different element working with us. Halavai, our politicians, Ana Hashem Hoshina, Ana Hashem Hatzlichana, as I've explained it. So I want to keep quiet. The Cheshman and Nefesh is very obvious. They mocked us going out and take a look at the tragedy it brought upon us. Look what Barak, Eyud Barak, did to the Jewish people. It is unbelievable. Elmet, Olmet, who, who has the audacity to speak out against us, look what he did with Gush Katif. It's beyond words, beyond comprehension. But everyone will tell you they meant well, they thought they would save lives, they thought they would save money for the Jewish people. Well, it turned out the thousands of lives we have paid, you can't put a price on it. And the billions of dollars it's costing. Uh, but I, 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 just to let you know, one sideshow that is not that widely publicized, but my grandchildren tell me, when they go through the tunnels and they find treasures that you cannot imagine. So at least some of the billions of dollars will be offset by what we found. But uh, I don't want to go any further because my grandchildren told me with a bank and everything is given over. No one puts a thing in their pocket. They immediately call in that section of the army that deals with the shalal. And as Malka says, it's a new Hebrew word that my great-grandchildren, you know, who grew up hearing the word shalal? Shalal. And my great-grandchildren already know the word shalal. And uh, it brings us back to World War II, where I remember my uncle Mike, who fought in Germany, came back with a German flag and a German belt buckle. All that doesn't inspire us, but when you come back with uh, billions of dollars, that, help, that helps offset some of the cost of the war. But how do you pay back lives? It's impossible. By the way, I just want to mention, if you come to my house, coming up, Rav came to Rav Berlin, 
on Rav Chain is where the Zussman boy lived, Hashem Yakum Domo. It's one of the Bentheim great grandsons, and there's a whole flag display in his memory. It's inspiring to see on both sides of the street, and there's a sign up that it's in his memory. All right, if there are no more questions, I want to thank everyone for honoring me with your presence today. Until we meet again in health and happiness, Rak Besoret Dovat. Das wird dann ja.